Do you like wrestling trivia? Then check out the five-star match game, the Pro Wrestling Quiz Show. I'm Joe Gagney, and every episode, I grill three contestants with five rounds of power-packed wrestling trivia. We have over 30 evergreen episodes in the archives covering WWE, AEW, Japan, Mexico, and much, 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 much more. Play along at home and check it out today. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungi here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Fred, I just got to tell you, we uh, reportedly have breaking news here. Warner Brothers Discovery is set to offer us a projected five-year, $1.1 billion deal. How do you feel about it? Better put this on all the websites I aggregate for. Yeah. Um, If you didn't know that this is the rumor that is floating around for... um, the new all elite wrestling uh, TV deal. Um, Joe Lanza uh, mentioned it and he, he reported that it was the rumor. He did not report that it was a thing. If you get that wrong, that's your fault and you're a jackass. I'm, I'm looking at you aggregators, even though I am a professional aggregator. Anyways, uh, the rumor is five years, 1.1 to $1.2 billion. That would equate. And this comes from Brandon Thurston of WrestleNomics about I think it's 90 cents um, on the dollar, like per hour of television watched according to the ratings. And WWE is at about $2.50. So when you kind of equate that, AEW has been around for four years. WWE has been a mainstay in professional wrestling in this country for over 40. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's necessarily unfair, especially kind of when you look at how the ratings are structured and the content library, which is a lot of what WWE is making on a regular basis. They're getting paid for their content library. Look, if they're, if they're going to get the, the last uh, WWE television deal, I think that's a really big win for AEW. Yeah. It's absolutely fantastic news for them. Um, They are, uh, I mean, this will obviously move them to a separate tier financially. And, uh, they, um, I mean, it's fantastic for them. Uh, I don't see any way that it's not going to be a big, uh, big change, uh, in how they can pay people and it can really help them keep up with WWE and bidding wars, uh, for in select situations. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's huge news. It's such a huge announcement that Tony Khan basically, made a huge announcement to tease the huge announcement. And frankly, I can't blame him. Um, it makes, I, this is, this is going to really, this is the most important thing to happen in the history of AEW, I think essentially. Um, and can really be a, a big industry changer. Yeah. Okay. So uh, a couple things that, what we should mention in kind of regards to this TV deal, because I'm not going to say that it was a prerequisite, but CM Punk coming back has got to be good for this television deal. And it's all but confirmed. And in our office Slack, and I know um, this is one person that we can trust when it comes to uh, relaying information, 
Sean Cedar, who is the Ring of Honor expert um, on the site, said the United show or United Center show um, that is going to be um, four days before Forbidden Door. The f- the first time CM Punk um, made his appearance in the company, it was called the First Dance. Fred, this show is apparently going to be called the Second Coming. Oh, that's uh, hitting it heavy, isn't it? <laughs> just Uh, a little bit just get that bob euchre just a bit outside uh yeah it's like i mean but it makes sense i mean uh there have been reports that like turner um warner brother uh, people like really want him back that they view him as like really essential to aw and um i can't blame him like he's from their standpoint he's going to boost the ratings and they they probably don't give a single damn about this uh drama backstage they're just I probably mean, look, like work look it out at, look at how many like actors and and producers and writers and directors and all that stuff have been getting away with slimy shit for years oh yeah like that this is the this is the tv and movie business like yeah absolutely i mean it's honestly it's not all too dissimilar from wrestling it's just wrestling is kind of more egregious at, at times because Nobody cares about wrestling like they do about other things. Yeah, re- wrestling doesn't have that PR uh, machine to help clean things up. But at the same time, like wrestling is not reported on the same way. So they don't really need it. The, that would require wrestling to be reported on. Um, yes, yes. But uh, one other piece of, of note from Sean Cedar, um, talking about uh, listening to Meltzer. Meltzer shared a mind-blowing pay-per-view stat. Um, so he found that television buys for revolution, not counting the streaming buys. So just like, uh, you go on and you click pay-per-view, um, they had increased by almost 15% by, um, March 14th, which was nine days later. So kind of what that, uh, tells me, uh, people were buying the show after it aired because of the rave, rave, rave reviews. Uh, Meltzer also said that it did more television-based pay-per-view buys than any other AEW pay-per-view in history. Um, I think that this is really interesting. I think it's excellent that more people are trying to buy the show. And I also think, and I want your take on this, Fred, what does that say about Bleacher Report? Because almost every AEW pay-per-view that we are, uh, that comes around, we see people in the Slack being like, oh, man, I can't get Bleacher Report to work. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. And we're all smart. Like, well, we try to order this pay-per-view in advance so we can make sure that, hey, we know, like, to have it just scheduled and we don't have to really worry about it. And then all of a sudden, you can't even order it. And then the yeah. pay-per-view is going and you're still struggling with that interface. Um, yeah, it's really frustrating. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I uh, I mean, I always buy tried to buy mine like at, right after the dynamite leading into the pay per view, just so I can avoid all the the issues with the app. You know, struggling to process those payments on uh, once the show is live and immediately before it. Um, but yeah, it's really it's a frustrating issue. Um, I don't know if it's costing them money. Uh, I mean, I I could. I wonder if most of the people who are unable to buy it either pivot to the TV version and thus they don't lose any money really, or else they pivot to, uh, to, uh, where is 
or you know just uh pirating it somehow um in which case you know they obviously would be losing money um but i don't know i mean it, it feels like they haven't really had any success in improving it so you know yeah. it's kind of it's pretty damn frustrating if you keep having those issues of course my advice is to is to buy like literally 24 hours ahead of time yeah so okay uh, let's dive into this because uh, i think at this point we, we feel very comfortable saying that uh AEW is going to be re-signing with Warner Brothers Discovery in some capacity. Oh, 100%. It, it seems like a certainty at this point. The let, let's let's break down the rumor and kind of speculate. Um and just let's just be clear we're not reporting. The rumor going around is 5 years 1.1 to 1.2 billion dollars. That'd be over 200 million dollars a year. And that does not include ad splits. That does not include like potential um bonuses that is just a flat we're gonna pay you x for y uh but one of the words that was floating around with this rumor fred was all encompassing now that can mean a lot of different things and i want your take on it i think this is going to involve ring of honor because this is Mm. such a massive tv deal um initially um, it was reported that Tony Khan was had not gone outside of Warner Brothers Discovery to shop Ring of Honor because he really valued and respected that relationship, which as a business individual, that's a very smart play because oh, yeah. you, you don't want to upset your partners, especially when your partner is Warner Brothers Discovery. Uh, and two, I'm, I wonder what this means for AEW pay-per-views. It, does this mean that Max, not HBO Max anymore, just Max. I think the official t- title Max debuts on Monday the 15th. Oh, okay. Um, I was actually if, uh, lost track of that. If Max is going to have any kind of content library and or pay-per-views become premium live events on Max. Yeah, um, it's it's going to be a really interesting situation. It, uh, Meltzer does say in The Observer... Uh, that just came out this morning. Uh, that it is Ring of Honor is not part of this all encompassing deal, okay, uh, because it is considered a separate company. Uh, but what the all encompassing thing does mean is that you know that's why Dark and Dark Elevation are done so, um, because they uh they were on YouTube, of course, and uh, that ain't Warner Brothers, uh, so they aren't there anymore. And I think that's um, that's like the biggest impact in terms of their schedule at this moment before we get the show we all assume is going to be called Collision on Saturdays. And uh, and yeah, um, that is the the big effect of it is, you know, now and Meltzer also says that uh, he thinks Rampage is going to shift to featuring younger talent. Um kind of trying to fill a bit of that dark, dark elevation thing. And they could do that once it's a B show, which is what it's going to be once we have collision. Uh, and like, there's no, I don't think there's going to be any pretending that it's actually an A show. Like, you know, Tony Khan has for quite a while when it hasn't been. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I, I'm going to be very intrigued to see what this all entails. And it should be noted that Tony Khan came out on AEW television, Fred, and said that this 
announcement would be made Wednesday night on TNT, not TBS. He said TNT, and it was funny because uh, um, David Vixen's band, actual wrestling journalist David Vixen's band, came out and asked, "Did he say the wrong network?" And Tony, being the ultimate poster that he is, never lost. No, you heard me correct, (laughs) and just awesome stuff. But to me, that says that they're going to be making this big announcement during basketball and that would yep. be a projected eastern conference finals or western conference finals matchup i i think it's eastern conference that's on tnt and western conference is on espn because nba is the uh, the two channel platform um so that i find very interesting um on that uh, the fact that they're going to announce it not on dynamite but likely during nba coverage which says that it could be really really big yeah, uh, I do have to call out Tony Khan for ducking my question that I asked as a follow-up. Um, and I'll just quote myself here. Uh, but I, I did tweet at him, Tony, important question. If you're back on TNT, will your lead and be the accountant? I need to know. Uh, no shout, response. Out, shout out Steve Case. Uh, just absolutely cowardice right there. I can't believe it. But listen, it, it, I think if AEW's content library ends up on Max, that it's gotta be uh, the the accountants like gotta be like recommended or something because yeah, the Equalizer, um, Ready Player One, uh, all these things, and there should be a mode where you can just watch the last three minutes of the movie before your episode of Dynamite or Rampage starts. God bless America. Let's move on. We have a lot to talk about here today, including Dynamite being fucking back, Fred. Yeah, it's a it's a good show again. All right. Um, so with this projected new TV deal, Dave Meltzer says they're gonna take Dynamite and Rampage together on Wednesday. And the new show Collision and Ring of Honor on Saturdays. Um, and I will say that uh during the um instant reaction um that was recorded um i recommend you subscribe to the voice of wrestling patreon i will say we don't get any money from it but it is definitely worth your money i've been a subscriber for four years and they broke down this dynamite show one of the things that joe talked about at speaking with wrestlers is they're not necessarily doing a proper brand split and Meltzer reports that part of the reason why is they they feel like they lack enough depth on the women's side to truly do a proper blame split split. And they're right. The women's depth is it's improving. It's yeah. improved a lot over the past year, but it's not there yet where you can really feel comfortable with having two women's rosters. Uh, but Joe talked to um, talent and kind of got a feel for how they feel about this collision thing. And it's, if he, it, his perspective was, it felt like a lot less CM Punk and a lot more, Hey, I don't want to work weekends or, like, yeah. I don't want to have this cloud over my head, not knowing which day I'm going to work because it's always been Wednesdays and, oh, you're going to do the occasional rampage battle of the belts on a Friday. Yeah, that's live. And then a pay-per-view like four pay-per-views a year. Now you're going to have a regular Saturday show, which, Fred, let me tell you, it's going to get really annoying for me during college football. I don't know when I'm going <laughs> to find time to watch it, but it's it creates an interesting dichotomy with talent right because with wwe you had 
oh, you're basically going to be working all the time because there's house show loops on the weekends. You're going to have your TV tapings during the week. Basically, your days off are like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And you're probably using at least one or maybe even two of them for travel. So basically, Wednesday's your only true day off every week. Well, with AEW, you fly in Wednesday morning, you fly out Thursday night. Hey, you've got like four days. This kicks mm-hmm. ass. Like, yeah, I can really dig this. Well, now you have a Saturday show. And how does that complicate things? Um, he, uh, Joe speculated like, hey, maybe people want to work the weekend so they can spend time with their kids during the week. Um, maybe people don't want to work the weekends because they want to be a young adult. Like, that is going to be very interesting to see how this changes morale. And it's not necessarily a bad thing because at the end of the day, for most people, money talks. You give me enough mm-hmm. money, fuck, I'll work on Wednesdays and Saturdays. Hell yeah. Because yeah. like, there's some people in that mode. But at a certain point, money doesn't matter because you have enough of it and you want to be able to spend the proper time with the loved ones that you have. So how morale changes in that aspect because eventually like we can talk all day about whether ronald reagan's trickle-down economics worked or not and all those intricacies but the money will eventually trickle down from the top of aw it will the wrestlers but it may take a couple years just because hey uh, it's not like unless they have it written in their contract where they get um x amount like if aw signs a new tv deal Chris Jericho might have their renewed contract because he's been in this business for 30 plus years. But yeah. outside of that, the money will eventually come down. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they will get paid and they'll have to get paid. I mean, just to help keep them uh, in AEW uh, once uh, contract negotiations come up. But, yeah, it does kind of beg the question are we going to see more. Um, or incidences of uh, like MJF walking out, uh, whatever that whole situation really was. Uh, but I believe a lot of it had to do with money. And uh, I also think there's a big question of, um, you know, if you're, uh, you know, you didn't have to worry about morale. Uh, and maybe Tony Khan will have to be a little proactive and rework some of these deals um, to boost the money being received, possibly with extensions on uh, time left on the contract. But yeah, I mean, I think the uh, the schedule is going to be very interesting, uh, and I think the most important AEW thing uh, can do is be organized. They they can't it, it, to help keep the wrestlers happy, uh, you know, with this because this it's not so much that they're just working one more day a week. Possibly, it's going to be like the perception of just how big of a schedule change that is to the the roster. And they are going to need to be organized and be able to, like, tell people ahead of time, hey, in three weeks, we're going to have you work on Wednesday and then the week after that uh, on Saturday. And the way the wrestling business works, you know, things do change. uh, But I think it will really be beneficial to them if they can plan at least a couple weeks ahead of time and uh, just set expectations for the roster as to when they'll be needed and when they should expect to travel. Yeah, and... and we don't say this as it's, Oh, it's going to be a problem, but whenever it's so I'm so involved in the world of football. One of the things that is really intriguing here, there's always a baseline and 
whenever you're trying to solve a math problem that you have a baseline of variables, you have a ba baseline of data. And then whenever new variables get entered into the equation, how does that change things? How does that modify what you're already doing? And how does that change little things with X, Y, and Z? So when you introduce new variables, the whole equation changes. And that's kind of what we're, what we're alluding to here. And it's not necessarily going to be a bad thing. It's just something we don't know. And I'm, I'm intrigued to kind of see how it all plays out. I think it's going to end up being a net positive for the company. I mean, hell, yeah, you had, and we'll talk about this later, you had the returns of Miro and, Thunder, Miro and Thunderosa this week. I don't think that's a mistake, Fred. Oh, no. I, I can't help but uh, take that as a uh, as an absolute uh, subtweet, you know, for lack of a better term. It's a, it's a signal that unhappy people are going to be around more. And, uh, you know, I think that's pretty clearly pointing towards CM Punk's return. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. That sorry if you heard a little bumping. I am recording in my office, and my my sweet French bulldog puppy Odie is chewing on a bone that's shaped like a fish, and nice. it was it was knocking around. I, I was going to ask you if that was um, causing any issues, but we got it figured out, so all is good. Let's keep talking some other news, and let's keep it within the realm of financial purposes for all elite wrestling. Um, Tony Khan announced that they have officially sold over 60,000 tickets for the Wembley All-In Show on August 27th. Now, I also find it interesting that I, I don't think you have it on the run sheet here. Rev Pro is running Copper Box the oh, yes. night before. So yep. I'm very intrigued to see if there if there's a budding partnership or if Rev Pro is just capitalizing kind of like a WrestleMania weekend thing. Either way. That tells me that either there's AEW talent working that show or there is New Japan talent. We already know, according to Dave Meltzer, that Will Ospreay is booked for All In, which means he's probably going to be booked for this Copper Box show because um, yeah. it's Will Ospreay and Rep Pro. Um, let's keep with the ticket sales here before we get too deep into the weeds. WrestleTix has tracked another 1,221 tickets that are no longer available. And Brandon Thurston of WrestleNomics, um, friend of the network, said that they're holding back 15,000 tickets for various reasons. And I want to I want to touch on this, Fred. Sure. We know there's going to be comp tickets. There's comp tickets for everything. 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 And, like, you have Jamie Hayter, Soraya. They're probably going to get a decent amount of comp tickets mm -hmm. because they're from England. Yeah. Um, maybe Kip Sabian if he's wrestling on the show. So let's... Let's be generous because a lot of times when you hear about like athletes going to a town, they get like 30 to 50 comp tickets. So let's go on the high end. Let's say that all three of them get 50. That's 150. Yeah. Then let's say you're going to have a 150 journalists. That, and, and we're shooting way high here. We're, yeah, we're that's, that's optimistic, but sure. Yeah. You know, um, like 150 comp tickets for media. So 300. And then let's say each individual. Um, and let's shoot the high end. Let's say it's 150 people working the show, wrestlers, staff, all that. They each get two comp tickets. So that's another 300. So right there, you have 600 comp tickets. And that's that's not obscene, especially mm -hmm. for a show of this size. And it could be that they're, um, they could be doing other comp tickets for like 
like radio station giveaways. They could oh, yeah. be doing all kinds of other things. It also could be business that, partners that, yeah, that they are waiting until closer to the show. And there could, they could be offering some discount tickets to try and drive even more ticket sales to get more bodies in the building. Like um, when AW first came around, their big selling point was tickets started just 20 bucks and they were running these smaller basketball arenas where a $20 ticket still got you a pretty good seat. Yeah. And I, I think that might be where they're going here. And I, I don't really have an issue with them holding back tickets because they've already sold 60,000. What does it matter? Yeah. <laughs> like it, it actually looks better on the screen if there's not a lot of tickets available and then you just slowly release them as you hit like certain milestones. Yeah, and he he's just been uh, you know they they've been slowly uh, selling some more, and there's still more available on the market, so it's not like they've shut it down. But I do imagine that there's going to be a big push for it at um, at the uh, you know once we get the last couple weeks before the event. Those are the words I was trying to put into the correct order. Uh, but I think it's pretty clear that that's going to be the big goal is to you know try to get a last minute. Uh, Last minute uh, push to get even more people in there. And, uh, you know, I mean, this has been a grand slam at this point. Um, I did hear that there are apparently some bad faithers trying to claim that this is a bad number, which is fucking great. (laughs) If you claim this is a bad number, um, like, uh, take the line from Dodgeball. Cram it up your cram hole, LaFleur. This is tremendous. (laughs) Like, listen... Any wrestling company that can sell 60,000 tickets to a show months out without a single wrestler on the card deserves all the praise in the world. Yeah. Nobody does this. Like, no, not, n- not even New Japan Pro Wrestling can sell out the Tokyo Dome without a card. Oh, no. It's New Japan. No, like, we're talking New Japan at its peak. They couldn't even put more than 30,000 people in the second night of a Tokyo Dome show where Naito got his moment like 15 years in the making. Like, this is incredible. Yeah, and and like, you know, the only thing this really compares to is basically WrestleMania these days. And WrestleMania does sell a good number of tickets pretty blind, if I recall correctly, as far as I think they sell pretty much everything blind. Yeah, and and like, that's the only comp, really. And, uh, I mean, if you're... Mm -hmm being compared to the biggest show on an annual basis that happens at wrestling, then you've done really well. Um, yeah. And of course I, I can only imagine that AEW will be coming back to England on hopefully an annual basis. As long as this keeps up, they'd be smart too. Um, and so, oh, but- hold on. I want to cut you off here because, and I like when you say come back to England, I want to know what you mean. Do you mean they come back for an, uh, make this their big tentpole show where they, they run Wembley every year or I mean, are you just selling talking... 60,000 tickets? <laughs> yeah. You well, know? I, I think that's important because I don't know if they do this next year. Where yeah, that's a big in, question. Well, not necessarily try doing this, but this is the first time they're coming into a market. European yeah. fans have been tortured with professional wrestling over the last three years as uh, a result of speaking out NXT UK kind of derailing and destroying a lot of the European scene. And 
you take all that into, into context, and there's never been – there hasn't been a big show at Wembley since 1992 mm-hmm. when uh, Davy Boy Smith Jr., the British Bulldog er, – Davy Boy Smith Sr., actually, uh, beat Bret Hart for the Intercontinental title yep. at SummerSlam. Like, that was the last time we've had a big show in England. Like, no, they've run, like, basketball arena-type shows. But at a certain point, like, how much of this is going to be viewed as a novelty and special versus, hey, this is sustainable and we can do this every year? I mean, you know, I can't imagine. I, I I will say this: I cannot imagine they will come back if they just try to repeat this next year. That they will not be hitting. I I've managed to confuse myself on my verb usage. I am very good at podcasting. Uh, I I my my guess would be that they would not get close to sixty thousand. Now, would it be financially feasible to sell forty thousand in the stadium and still make money, or thirty thousand even? You know, or is there a different soccer stadium they could do or just something else there? Um, you know, I think that um, they're, if, if they're just going once a year, I think there will be still a lot of demand. Maybe not this much demand, but I still have to think that they would do well, uh, given how, you know, basically Europe is uh, not a hotbed for large companies at this point in time. Uh, they don't really have a lot of huge local stars uh, that are part of, like, 10k plus uh attendance shows uh just because that's not how it's structured there the companies are pretty small compared to it's really small compared to AEW and new japan and wwe um so maybe they will just go hog wild i mean i know that traditionally when uh wwe goes over to europe that that's you know those tickets could move really well too so to be seen i guess yeah, and I, I just thought because you mentioned that uh, like maybe they come back here every year, I thought it was worth a discussion because it's sure. it's, an, it's an interesting idea because this is such a very, very like a very unique situation. But I do think because of the success that you have to consider that this is going to be important for your territory here moving forward as Odie is deciding, hey, I want to run through dad's desk and hit all the cables against the desk. Oh boy. It's dog time, baby. Oh, I, I love, I love my sweet boy, but he, he's being a turkey because mom is running errands this morning. So let's continue on. Um, we, we already talked about uh, Osprey book for all in Meltzer. Uh, let's talk about this more. You already mentioned it once. Meltzer said that rampage is going to become with dark and dark elevation where stronger focus on young talent. I love, love, love this idea, but how much of this is going to become like NXT? And let's let's use NXT as a baseline here. 2.0 specifically, right? I assume. Um, NXT in general. Um, Because, I mean, original NXT was a super indie, but they also brought um, people up through the ranks as well. Like the Four Horsewomen. Um, Before he got canceled, Velveteen Dream was like a huge project of theirs. Well, yeah. yeah, and before he ended up, you know, doing the disgusting things that he did, Velveteen Dream was a was a really big potential success. Oh yeah, he NXT. seemed like a huge pro- uh, prospect for them. So yeah, and it, he was somebody that they they he was like a nineteen year old that they found on the indies, and they really developed him. He could have been like their, their crown jewel of hey, this is the performance center. 
but things things didn't go that way and I I wonder how much of approach they're going to take like hey we're going to take just young talent we find on the indies or hey this is where Lee Johnson and those guys from the Nightmare Factory really get to actually show what they do how is it going to be used like I'm very intrigued to see this portion um, of the transition of Rampage I love the the idea but we also know that because of the pandemic, Dark and Dark Elevation kind of just became job shows. Yeah. With like one okay-ish match. Yeah, and uh, it's just going to be a matter of, uh, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see what becomes of Rampage. But it's, it's finally going to be like properly slotted like a B-show. And I think those expectations are going to have a pretty big effect on how this show is interpreted by people that watch it. Uh, it's going to be a lot less uh, of a disappointment if you end up with like what we've been getting with Rampage, but with the expectation headed heading in that um, it's going to be that that you're going to get a, a lower star quality, and there's no pretending that it's a uh, it's a proper A show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that's what's what is going to be very intriguing, and like uh, Rampage needs a needs a revamp in some way and i think this would be a really cool way to revamp the show um all right eddie kingston officially had hernia surgery um said he's been dealing with the injury since september now that can explain a lot of the reasons why we haven't seen a ton of eddie kingston on television Um, yeah apparently he's been dealing with this a long time and uh yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's a shame that he's had to resort to surgery, but sometimes that's how it goes. And uh, hernia surgery is relatively low risk, yeah. in my general understanding of it. So. I, I had hernia surgery when I was three and a half. I don't remember much of it, but I remember like physically I was okay yeah. pretty much right away. Um, but it, I was also born with it. And that that's a pretty common thing for um, young males to be born with, with a hernia uh, like around the waistline at that age. So, yeah. Um, but I will say I had severe abdominal surgery four years ago. Like that shit's painful. Oh to, yeah. Like have to deal with anything like surgery. that. You have no idea how much you use your ab muscles until you can't use them. Yes. Um, it's, I couldn't hold a gallon of milk for six weeks. It was nuts. Mm. Um, yeah. but all the best to Kingston. It sounds like it's a six week recovery, which is like, I mean, my surgery, I wasn't going to be able to compete in six weeks, but I had a six-week recovery before I went back to work. So, yeah. I mean, that, that kind of balances out. Um, Thunder Rosa is still dealing with her back injury per Dave Meltzer. Um, yeah, it, it's it's a back injury. Um, Scary I don't stuff, think that's, I don't think that's ever going away, but I think it's all, all depending on how can you manage it, how can you do X, Y, and Z to – try and prevent it from coming back. And that's, that's going to be, she's just probably just going to have to deal with this her whole career. Yeah. And, uh, but she's apparently still unable to take bumps, I think is what I, I read, which uh, obviously <laughs> is still? a big problem. Um, yeah. I, I have to imagine that she's trying to avoid surgery. That That's my, that's my breed into this. Um, and back surgery is something that you try to avoid at all. Uh, as much as you completely can, and uh, because that is it can be very bad. Um, that's pretty much the riskiest surgery that you can undergo, I think, uh, at least as far as 
you know, commonly accepted surgeries. Uh, so hopefully, I, I know that there's a lot of uh, people that believe she's been exaggerating her injury. And uh, at some points, I've wondered about that myself, I will admit. Um, but frankly, backs are really, really twitchy. Like, it's just really hard to to estimate how long a back injury is going to bother you. And I, you know, it's also a fact of, you know, in, each individual has different levels of pain tolerance. That's just a biological fact. And uh, it's possible that, you know, Britt Baker has more pain tolerance than Thunder Rosa. And that doesn't <laughs> say anything about Thunder Rosa as a person, you know, just people interpret their bodies, interpret, uh, you know, those neurons firing differently. And yeah. that's, that's how it works biologically. So Ab- absolutely. Um, all the best to her and hoping yeah. that she gets a full recovery soon. Let's talk about the aforementioned Britt Baker here. We talked about this on the show last week, and there's an interesting follow-up. And yes, we are specifically talking about the Brit- Britt Baker black eye t-shirt. Um, she was very surprised by the criticism of it. And uh, in quote, I was very surprised when it started, when I actually posted the picture of my black eye just on social media, got almost 100,000 likes, that I'm tough, that I'm a badass. And wow, this girl, she's strong, and it was empowering. But when I went on a t-shirt, it was really problematic, and that was so confusing to me, because why? And this part I want to touch on. She also said that reaction would not be like this if she was a man. Yeah. That's a fair point. Like, it is a fair point, but at the same time... Well, that's exactly why that this is being looked at this way. <laughs> it's it, it's such a two-fold discussion, because one, she is a badass. That picture in itself, sharing it in a wrestling context... Tremendous. Yeah. Putting it on a t-shirt. And now when she puts it on social media, everybody knows, hey, Britt Baker, professional wrestler. Most of her followers know she's a professional wrestler. Okay. You put it on a t-shirt and you walk around. Like if I'm a 6'6", 300 pound man. If I walk around with a t-shirt of a woman with a black eye on it in mm-hmm. random public, what is that going to tell people? And uh, that's kind of where there's this disconnect and why she said the reaction would not be like this if she was a man. Absolutely. Because as a man, if I'm wearing a t-shirt with a woman with a black eye on it, like that's going to, it's all the context. It's going to give people a perception about domestic violence. And is it fair? No, but this is reality. This is, we're not living in a fantasy world. This is, real life and there are going to be people that get that misconstrued now would it be awesome if Britt baker wore the shirt and it was just like kind of a special thing absolutely does it work with chris jericho's shirt to wear it because he's a piece of crap heel absolutely mm-hmm. but there is also the danger because Britt baker is a woman that's why it's different and it's not fair that it's different but we have to talk about things in the context of reality and not a, um, in fantasy, I believe in full equality, but at the same time, you have so much past precedent, and you have like men over overpowering women and beating women, mm-hmm. and all all these areas that have to be contextualized with this shirt. And it, honestly, it's it fucking sucks we're having this conversation right now, but we have to because Britt Baker deserves to be treated like a true equal in this space. And I view her as an equal in this space. But when it comes to the shirt, it can be very dangerous because 
one thing we talk about, like with professional wrestling shirts, does it pass the mainstream test? Like some wrestling shirts, like you just wear a Bullet Club shirt out. Like that's kind of mainstream. Like it could be a lot of different things. It doesn't necessarily have to be professional wrestling. Like for somebody looking at it from the outside, mm-hmm. like this, if somebody looking at it from the outside is, yeah, they're probably not going to see that like this is a badass women's professional wrestler unless they know who Britt baker is they're gonna see dude wearing a shirt with a woman with a black eye and that's the issue it has nothing to do with Britt baker being awesome being tough anything like that it's all contextualized perception and it's not fair to her but it is what it is and like how are we supposed to fix this we it it, we kind of can't we're we're working towards progress but this like that's the reason why this is getting backlash because it's society. Yeah, uh, and uh, that context is what makes it make sense. And it's you know just wearing it down the street is divorcing it from that context, and that's what uh, makes it uh, you know makes the perception of it what it is. Yeah, it's. I, I get where she's coming from. She's 100% right. Um, but at the same time, I, I there, there should be a little bit more awareness of why people would think it's problematic. And I, I get where she's coming from where, hey, like I'm a badass. I am a professional wrestler. And this looks fucking cool. Yeah. All those things are right. But let's like open your eyes a little bit outside the bubble and see why it could be problematic. You see random Joe Schmo wearing that on the side on the street. You have no idea like what it's from. Like that's an awful t-shirt. Like the the bloody one I think is completely different. Yeah. I think that looks badass, but a black eye in that context, Mm -hmm. unless she's wearing full blown wrestling gear, Exactly. And she doesn't look like a, you know, there's nothing to really tell you just at a glance that she's a pro wrestler in that shirt. Mm-hmm. The black eye one. So, and uh, like, we won't give this whole lot, lot more time, but she's, she's brilliant. She's, she's a doctor. Like, she's, she's a dental doctor. She went to school for years. Like, like, I, I just, I just wish there would have, she would have been able to understand and see this context. At least just we're just basing this on, on the quotes that we have. Like maybe she does see it now. And like, sometimes people just get in a little bit of a bubble, but like all respect to her Baker for putting her, her, her battered face on a shirt and like thinking she looks badass, which she does, but there's a lot more to it than that. Unfortunately. Yep. All right, let's let's move on. Um, this let's one is interesting. Re- oh, go ahead. Yuka Sakazaki is graduating from Tokyo Joshi Pro Wrestling at their 10th anniversary show December 1st and will be moving to the United States. Now, will this mean that she becomes an AEW regular like we thought she might be at the beginning of the company, but the whole Joshi thing kind of got derailed early on. Um I, I think that it was more of a long-term play for the company to get these women over. It obviously worked with Sheeta. It worked with Riho, but the pandemic really halted a lot of travel plans, which I think halted the the push of, of the Joshi wrestlers, which they were hoping 
was going to be the the cruiserweights of this company. Yeah. Uh, referring to how Nitro handled the cruiserweights back in the day. Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, she's very talented, and I would love to have her around more often, but I'd, you know, I also have to point it like, you know, um, Riho only pops up every once in a great while. Um, Emi Sakura is mainly working Dark and Dark Elevation. Um, the, uh, oh shit, um, I, mean, I can't remember the name of the woman who won the uh, title eliminator match to uh, Rio Mizunami. That's right, I, I think. Um, I mean, we haven't even seen anything of her since she uh, made that challenge. Um, mm-hmm. And she was getting over, too. Um, it's a shame. I think that they could really complement the women's roster. Uh, you know, there's a lot, you know, we even talked about how there's a concern about like, how they can't do a proper brand split, which I wouldn't want to see in the first place, but they can't do it with uh, the current women's roster they have. Um, that's a big concern they have. If they had access to all this talent on a regular basis, that would be, um, you know, obviously huge for them, but that's not the case. Yeah, it's... I would love to see a little bit more Yuka Sakazaki just because I think she is a talented individual. I mean... Like you want more talent, especially in mm-hmm. a win- like uh with w- women's wrestling, we're still building up a lot of that talent pool. Yeah, because especially in this country, women's wrestling wasn't taken seriously like until about ten years ago. Yeah. And when something isn't taken seriously for so long, well, you have to build up a foundation, and we're starting to really get that foundation now. And now, moving forward, you're going to start seeing a lot of the, the repercussions of it. Young women who see these women actually being put into um, top spots, you're like, I want to be there. I can get there. And not just looking at one Trish Stratus versus Alita match um, from like Trish Stratus's first retirement in 2006 and be like, okay, I, I can do that. Well, now it's more mainstream and it's, it's more of an equality thing, which is tremendous. But it's also you're trying to erase decades of irreparable damage and that talent pool just has not quite caught up. It will in about, I'd say in about 10 years, we're going to see a lot more quality women's wrestlers just because there's going to be a lot more women who want to do this, who really put in the time and effort to do this. But yeah, the, the brain split thing is interesting as far as the women's division. It's just not quite there yet. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I mean, it's really unfortunate that, you know, we still remember the, because it's been memed to death, uh, Cameron saying that her favorite match of all time was Alicia Fox versus Melina. And, uh, like, that's, I think the, you know, I think the jokes, I mean, which granted is a pretty funny statement, but I think a lot of the jokes are kind of missing the point that uh, women's wrestling at that point in time in America did not really have a high level, you know, like great match contender like that, you know, like, you know, Lita and Trish gets brought up and it was a very good match, but like, it's, you know, there was never in North America, there was not a, um, you know, pick your favorite all time match, Austin, Brett, Bret Hart, or, you know, Eddie Ray or whatever to choose from. Um, mm-hmm. So, I, I think that you know that's kind of more reflective of this well the status was for uh women's wrestlers at that point in time than anything yeah it's um i mean not it, it's not exactly like all japan women was uh easy to get uh, 
a hold of uh, over the past like 15 years. I mean, it's a lot easier now. There are ways to find it, but it's not like there were a ton of All Japan women's matches being aired on national television. Exactly. Um, now, if there were, we might be seeing that influx now instead of having to wait a little longer. But we we will get it, and then once we continue to get more and more and more talent in the pool, you're going to see a lot more quality coming from women's wrestling as a whole, and that's going to be tremendous for the pro wrestling scene. Um in an interview with Sports Illustrated that came out the day of the cage match, Kenny Omega called John Moxley the MVP of AEW. I hated this. And maybe it's just an old school way of thinking here, Fred, but why would you release this the day of the cage match? Like, like it's breaking kayfabe a little bit. Like, I don't like that. Like, I, I, I look, we, we understand that the realities are different, but Sell me on the fact that these guys hate each other's gut. Kenny Omega calling John Moxley the MVP of AEW doesn't necessarily tell me, oh, like I hate this guy's guts in like in storyline. Like I don't know, Th- this annoyed me. Am I out of line? Well, I would say a little bit. I read it more as him just putting his opponent over, and um, and I think that like that's my interpretation of it. Um, I think that, uh, you know, it just read to me as a guy, you know, like Kenny Omega, whenever he does media, he's always like with one foot out of kayfabe anyway. Like he, he's always been very open, uh, with things. And he, you know, my, my, from what I've seen, I, I haven't closely read the Sports Illustrated interview. I have to admit to that. But my interpretation of it is it's more of a, you know, I'm facing this guy, but he's been great since day one in this company, and I feel like I have to beat him to help surpass him. You know, kind of take more than outright kayfabe breaking. But that's my take. Interesting. Okay. Well, I, I, we're we're on separate separate wavelengths here, but you know what? That's okay. Yeah, I don't um, think we're. I really don't think we're that far apart. I, I think we're just you know looking at it differently, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Darby Allen plans on climbing Mount Everest next year. This is so Darby. Um, I just hope he doesn't lose any fingers or toes. Or die. Because, um, yeah. yeah. I don't uh, mean that as a joke. No, people, Mount Everest is dangerous. No, it is. It's not what it once was. It's actually been pretty commercialized. If you, I've read about it several times, but like, uh, you know, there, there's been criticism of it being uh, too commercialized, that it's been made too popular for people who probably should not be climbing a mountain, especially one of that height, uh, going over there and basically paying for a tour guided troop to get to the top and really not being in the physical condition you need to be to climb a mountain like that. Um, and the thing is that like, you know, when you're up there, that there, you know, you use the corpses of previous climbers as, as waypoints. Uh, there's um, there's an unidentified body up there called Green Boots that is uh, that's basically a landmark on uh, one of the, the, the big route up there. Um, uh, they think that it's a guy that died back in uh, 1996. And, uh, you know, what? Oh, sometimes when you die on Everest, you can't recover your body. Um, so, he, you know, there are a bunch of 
there's a fair number of uh, dead bodies up there where <laughs> that are land points or, or landmarks uh, of the path you're taking. So uh, I'm a coward, I guess. I would never even consider climbing Mount Everest. I'm also fat. So, you know, that's pretty good uh, rate limiting factor right there of being like, I look in the mirror like, yeah, this is not a Everest body. This is uh, I'm ever resting. Got him. Boom. Roasted. Yeah, I, I definitely don't have an Everest body either. And I think Odie would miss me too much if I tried to climb Mount Everest. So I'm I'm not going to do it. Lastly, this is, this is outside of the world of professional wrestling. Chris Jericho has accused Mandalay Bay Security of physical and mental assault. And I, I, I genuinely wonder how much of this is kayfabe, if any. Um, just because the way he, fr- he framed it on social media to me felt a little cartoonish um but and let, let's read the the quote from his social media yeah. his uh, this apparently had something to do with a fozzy concert again this is something yeah. that like i'm vaguely aware of but yeah um hey at mandalay bay it's unacceptable that you tried to bully me and assault me when all i wanted was my bags that i left at concierge your security staff ignored me for 30 minutes and when i made some noise Physically and mentally assaulted me and laughed in my face. I want restitution now. And just by kind of the way he framed it, it I'm not going to say it's a joke. I don't think so at all. But I, I do think that it's framed in such a way, Fred, that it's more of it. it the framing feels a little worked. Does that make sense? I, I, I hear what you're saying. I don't think this is a work at all. I think this is just Chris Jericho being like himself, <laughs> but that's me. Do you, that's uh, do you think that this is Chris Jericho reality, uh, but tweeting like Chris Jericho, the character, because I, I think that that's, that's kind of how I'm reading mm. it. it. It feels like Chris, I don't know Chris Jericho, the person, but this feels like Chris Jericho, the Ocho, uh, Le Champion tweeting this and not necessarily um, the person behind the character. Yeah, I can't uh, can't rule it out, but I I that's not my take on it. I'll say that. Yeah, well, either way, if he's tweeting this, something happened with the Mandalay Bay, and it's not good. But that's enough for the news. We have officially spent almost an hour talking about all the happenings around in and around the world of all elite wrestling. For Ed, how fucking great was this show? It is. You know, we've been talking for weeks now about how, like, it's Dynamite has not been right. It's been missing something. It has been disappointing. And we finally got a proper episode of Dynamite this week. And thank God for that. Um, this was a fantastic show. Had a bunch of great matches on it. Had a great promo. Uh, it just about, it came, I think it's, set the stage for a course correction for this main event build that has been really struggling. Um, yeah, uh, I love the show. It was great. I had a blast with it. I was, uh, it's, it was definitely a hooting and hollering um, at a level show. Yeah, um, definitely a lot of hooting and hollering. I, my wife is not the biggest professional wrestling fan. And when she comes home from work, she hates that I'm watching it every, every time because she's just overstimulated from work and she doesn't want to deal with it. So I told her, I'm like, look, I will be in the basement. I will be watching pro wrestling. Do not come downstairs until nine o'clock because you will see blood and you will be mad. So, and then what does she do? 
she came downstairs i'm like you don't want to be down here and it was like right after omega had just destroyed moxley's back with that barbed wire chair like you don't want to be down here yeah you're gonna hate this you're gonna hate this and like oh man was this good but let's let's start talking about it um opened up now this is how you open a dynamite baby double jeopardy match where the the winner gets a shot at the other's title i love this concept it's a little convoluted but i also think it's a great way to kind of frame the discussion around hey how how do you do a champion versus champion match you don't need to put both titles on the line like it's basically an eliminator like i think that kicks ass um roh world champion claudio castanelli defeats um i think it's uh roh world tag team champion ray phoenix and these two beat the shit out of each other it was great yeah phoenix did phoenix things uh claudio just whipped his butt uh, with physical with physicality and wins with the ricola bomb um this was awesome (laughs) Yeah, this was a fantastic, uh, absolutely great match. I went four and a half stars on it. Uh, you know, I, I actually had to update my uh, Dynamite Dozen for the first time in a while because uh, we haven't been getting great uh, matches like this, and this was a fantastic, absolute must-see match. It absolutely was. Um, so I, what I think is really interesting here is we're probably getting um, Claudio and Wheeler Yuta challenging for those ROH tag team titles. I wonder if they win them. Um, that's going to be intriguing to me. Yeah, that'll be interesting. And also if it's going to be on the next uh, Ring of Honor pay-per-view or just on an episode of the TV. Absolutely. And I think that that's going to be a big signal as to what um, what happens too. Um, next, um, we get the, the reintroduction of Miro. Miro is back. And Renee Paquette uh, tries to interview Miro backstage. He just walks right by her, goes into Tony Khan's office, and shuts the door. Um, Miro is back, and this rules because we need matches with guys like Miro who just beat the piss out of others. I love Miro. Awesome, dominant. I I always I I just love Miro, um, and. Uh... I can't wait. I, I, you know, I know he's been kind of, uh, you know, self-selected to be on the shelf apparently. And there's been drama around that and kind of annoying and everything, but I love Miro. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. After this. Um, so we didn't realize this at the time, but we got four vignettes and it started with MJF. Um, he compares the pillars to the Beatles. And of course he calls himself Paul McCartney because he is a, a um i don't know what the right word is i'm just gonna call him a scumbag um but that's it's self-indulgent um that's probably the best way to put yeah. it every great moment in the sport is one thing in common and that is your AEW world heavyweight champion mjf in my reign of terror has just begun and he said he was in the best dog collar match in uh singles the history best singles dog collar match that that's very very because true. of the briscoes he, i'm gonna know, be honest even he I, I'll be honest. Um, I may be uh, out on a limb here. I thought MJF Punk was better than Briscoe's uh, FTR, but it's by a very, very slim margin. And I don't know. I think there's a lot of emotion attached to that match because it was the last. Oh, race. no one's no one's ever going to be able to fairly evaluate that match unless they're like eight years old today. You know, younger than that, even <laughs> like four. It was the last time we saw the Briscoe's team on a major 
pro wrestling yeah. event. And um, like basically their next last match. I think they had one House of Glory match after that. They did. Um, yeah. But I will say that in real time, I thought MJF Punk was better. Oh, that's um, fair. So, but it, they're they're in the pantheon of great dog collar matches. They're in the pantheon of great gimmick matches of all time. And he also said he was in the best Iron Man match of all time, which I'll be honest, like yeah. I know I don't know if Ric Flair ever had an Iron Man match. No, I don't he, think a proper one, at least not he a high profile one. Minute epics. Um mm-hmm. but like I don't know, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels is known for the finish. It's not known for how good the match was. I did love in real time Brock Lesnar versus Kurt Angle. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. That's- but but like MJF, Daniel Bryan, my God, I apologize for the sin I just committed. Uh, Brian Danielson um, had, uh, it's it's the best I've ever seen. I can say that. Yeah. Um, same, honestly, same. Um, uh, I mean, we could talk about the 30-minute Ironman match, AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels from 2005. That was phenomenal, but also only 30 minutes. Um, yeah. As we continue to move on, at, like that MJF promo kind of set the stage. Um AW World Tag Team Champions, FTR, um, came to the ring and responded to the challenge from Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett. They said, we'll give you the title match, but you have to admit that you used Mark Briscoe to get to us. Mark Briscoe comes out with a bottle of vodka and a bunch of cups. And this was tremendous. Just Mark Briscoe. Like, somebody mentioned that he might be the new Dusty Rhodes. And I I kind of get it. Um, He's just so insanely over. And the... The best part is, like, obviously, the reason one of the reasons why he got so over initially is because of the passing of his brother. Like, that's it's an unfortunate organic occurrence, but you don't stay over for a long time unless you are special. And yes. I think we're really seeing how special Mark Briscoe is. And like the skit last week with Papa Briscoe at the chicken farm, tremendous tremendous stuff um and this is just mark being mark and of course you have dax who just loves his booze and then jeff jarrett oh i i don't know if i don't think he drinks he slaps the cup away dax gets booze in his eye and then thinks he's uh pile driving like jeff jarrett and pile drives mark briscoe and that's kind of the direction the storyline's taking now we'll and we'll kind of see what happens and um it is official for double or nothing that as Briscoe uh, mentioned, because he's the special guest referee. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of completely undermined. Well, it, it's one of those things that happens in wrestling sometimes, but it kind of undermines the whole FTR. We won't take the match unless you admit that uh, you're uh, manipulating Mark Briscoe. And then like a minute later, Mark Briscoe's like the match is happening and I'm going to be there. Um, I do enjoy FTR bald, uh, being kind of a kayfabe idiot uh, when he, you know, just like someone was shoved towards him and he was like, well, I have to pile drive him. I've been blinded. I have no option. I have to defend myself and uh, without even checking to see who it might be. Um, yeah, minor complaint. I thought this was a pretty good segment, though. I, I do. Um, it, it was great. And what made it great was Mark Briscoe. Um, yeah. That we'll we'll see how that continues to develop at on the road to double or nothing. Uh, Renee Paquette interviewed the Ocho Chris Jericho backstage, and I have two takes on this, Fred. 
let's go through the initial. Um, Jericho, why is everybody so happy that Adam Cole got, quote, the best of me, unquote, while I was doing commentary? This is an unsafe work environment. I got legal counsel, and now I have a court order. If, if I am in the arena, Adam Cole is banned. Roderick Strong interrupts and challenges Jericho to a false count anywhere match, which won. That rules. But yes. Strong also has legal counsel and said he got the Jericho Appreciation Society banned next week from the from the building. Um, Two things. One, I love how Jericho got one-upped on his sports entertainment bullshit. Yes. Two, this match is going to be fun. Like, I don't, I think this is the first time ever Roderick Strong versus Chris Jericho. And on top of that, like, these are two pros, pros. This, this could be one of the more, like, like a sleeper match for like one of the best matches on Dynamite this year. Yeah, I, I'm pretty excited for this. I think it could be very good. And, uh, I, I do love Chris Jericho, uh, pompous heel who insists that there was no reason for Adam Cole to attack him a week after he basically forced Adam Cole to watch his wife give it up or girlfriend, I guess not wife. Yeah. It, like put a ring on was, it, Adam. Come on, man. Yeah. You really should put a ring on it. Let's, let's, let's be honest here. Um, put a ring on it, dude. <laughs> It, it, it didn't even take me two years to put a ring on my wife's finger. Like, you've been with her, what, 10? Like, it's time. It's time. But for all we know, maybe Britt just doesn't want to get married. Like, yeah. Like, we don't know those intricacies. So, um, let's keep moving on. Um, Renee Paquette was continued to try to get a word with Tony Khan about Miro. But Thunder Rosa walks in. And she, and she said, and this line got a kick out of me. Seems like it's a good night to talk to Poppy Khan. Yes. And obviously, um, Poppy is just, uh, it's um, Spanish slang. But uh, I don't know. Just Yeah, the, that, I, that made just me laugh. The, yeah. It made me laugh. Um, after a, a commercial break, we had Tony Khan backstage with a microphone. And I'd like everybody to stay tuned in next week. Um, he did say TNT. He specifically said mm-hmm. TNT and he meant it. And this was a pre-tape, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I will say, Tony Khan is getting better with these pre-tapes. Now, uh, we, like, the whole authority figure thing, this isn't him being an authority figure. He had to do the the stripping of the trios in the AEW world title after Brawl Out. But he's getting better and more comfortable with these pre-tapes, and that, like, that's a net positive. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think this was a little good little teaser, uh, and we'll see how it's announced next week. If it's going to be on, um, on like we're kind of presuming on the NBA coverage on TNT before mm-hmm. Dynamite or or what, but um, yeah. Next up, AW International Championship match: Freshly Squeezed Orange Cassidy versus the Jericho Appreciation Society's Daniel Garcia. This rocked. This, this was, was fun. very fun. Like Orange Cassidy has become the workhorse of this company, and you put him on TV, he's just going to give you a really good match. Usually, he's in the opening segment, but here he is in. In I believe that this would be the third quarter hour. Um, look, this was great. Um, Garcia ha- had that lion tamer locked in, and then um, 
Orange Cassidy got, I believe, the the seatbelt clutch. And yeah, I think it was the seatbelt. I, I I really like how that was used to beat him because it was just like, oh, I I, I just trapped you. Um, yeah, and it kept Daniel Garcia strong. I thought this was great. I gave it four and a half. This was really wow. This was great professional wrestling. I thought it was very good. I went three and three quarters. Um, but wow, you I, I just this. how dare you? Yeah, I know, completely trash. Um, yeah, I thought it was a good match. Um, I think I again, I will repeat myself. I think I say this every time Garcia gets any time at all, but uh, he's he's going to be a superstar. Uh, he's just once he gets that big push, I think he's just going to man, he's going to be a big star. You can I can see it in everything he does. He's got the personality. He's got he's sure as hell got the in ring. Um, and yeah, I think in three years he'll be a main eventer easy. Yeah, he absolutely um, should be. Well, hopefully it continues on with this. Next up, this was an all-time promo. Oh, the Christian, Christian promo? Cage. Yeah, baby. This was so good. I thought, I thought you were going to talk. I thought, well, you're skipping the Outcast promos, which I only bring up because it wasn't really memorable. But I thought you were talking about that for like a split second. It was like, oh, my God, he's got a brain bleed. we got to get Tyler to a hospital. No. Okay, uh, let's go through this. Um, he informed us that first, because uh, he's in the ring with Tony Schiavone, that TNT champ Wardlow and the enforcer Arn Anderson were not here tonight. Um, you want to know why I'm the number one contender for the TNT title? Because I'm Christian Cage. When your name has that cachet, cachet that mine does, you get the shot. This was a really smart play because people were whining about rankings. Like, no, I'm fucking Christian Cage. That's yeah. why I get the title shot. Pro move. Absolute pro move to start off. I have a question for you, Tony, as Christian continued. What's with all these wrestlers in AEW and all their daddy issues? M- much like my previous opponent, my current opponent, Wardlow, also had a father. Holy shit. But I'm not going <laughs> to berate your father, Wardlow, because he wasn't famous. No one cares about him. Now, this is where things got interesting. <clears throat> Arn Anderson's son... Now, if you remember, Arn Anderson did have a son pass away a few weeks back. But he does eventually say, Brock has a contract here in AEW. Arn Anderson is a bold-faced liar. He said he wanted to set up his son for success, but tossed him aside for Wardlow. How many times have have you won the world championship, Arn? What are you going to do, Wardlow, when you realize your legend is not as strong as me and was never as good as me? Next week, Wardlow, you're going to stand in the ring, and I'm going to look you in the eyes and you're going to realize your days as champion are over he also threw arne anderson on the bus because saying like the only reason he had success was oh you teamed with tully blanchard a real star this was phenomenal it like this is christian's best like run in his entire career like he had a really good run when he entered tna he's had a couple good runs in wwe this is the best work in my opinion he's ever done and he's so 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 good. This was this was fantastic. I just love this promo so much. Uh, it was a great heel promo. The crowd hated him so much, like just nuclear heat. Uh, one of the lo- loudest reactions to a promo I can recall in a long time, and uh, just fantastic. Probably since the last Christian Cage promo, <laughs> very much possibly. Uh, great stuff. He is a gift. Oh, he's I, – I could listen to Christian Cage talk every week if he's going to be this good. Um, footage was shown. This was the Darby Allen pre-tape. Um, 
I hate this. Like, they're making Darby Allen feel human. They're making him feel like a normal person. Really? I I, I, like, I think this is just a continuation of my frustration of his promo from a couple weeks ago when it was, like, the four pillars, like, and Darby was talking about how he, how much he sacrificed. He bought his parents a house. Like, to me, this is just more of the same. Like, look, Darby's a little emo kid who's an absolute daredevil. And I think they're just mispresenting him a little bit. And it, to me, it's annoying and frustrating. But I may be on an island here. Yeah, I think you're on an island. Uh, I mean, it's... I thought it was a good, like, this is what Darby Allen is uh, pre-tape. I thought Sting helped put him over really good. And, uh, yeah, um, I, I like this. I thought it was great. Yeah. It, uh, yeah, and I just, it, it was, it was really good, but I didn't like it. Um, yeah, it, I mean, it, it is what it is. Um, next up. So I thought this was interesting. They gave um, Anna JAS mm-hmm. versus Julia Hart in a no holds barred match. The top of the hour. Yeah. And look, Anna J, like she's she's fine. Like I think she's relatively inoffensive. She's not a great worker. But man, did she try hard in these death matches? This was this was pretty good. Um, I I gave it th- like three and a half, and I I elevated a little bit because you could tell, even though the execution wasn't all the way there, these girls worked their butts off to really try to make this thing great, and I I gave a little bit extra for that. They the suplex of the chairs like was a miss, but I think they worked around it well. Like I thought this. This was entertaining. It was good. It was violent. Yeah. Uh, I thought this was pretty kind of sloppy at points. Uh, oh, it was I, absolutely sloppy. Yeah, but yeah. it worked really hard. And I yeah, they tried hard. And, and you got to give them credit for that. I didn't think this was like special. Uh, I went two and a half stars on it. So, like, for me, that's like you know, above average, mainly because of the effort. But I'm not going to say it was a des- disaster or anything. But, you know, it's what it is you know yeah all right aew um world trios championship match i i think before this is when we got the sammy guevara pre-tape um and i thought the guevara pre-tape was pretty good um i didn't think it was phenomenal yeah i thought that all the all the uh, the weakest was Perry's. I thought MJF's was, of course, fantastic. But I thought the other three did a good job of uh, putting over the guys, um, and it felt fresh compared to, uh, you know, the uh, as I lose my train of thought, uh, what the previous build had been. I thought this was much uh, much better than the uh, we're going to squabble in the ring for ten minutes like a raw opening segment. Um, so I like these. I, you know, and I think that having the uh, the vets come in and back the challengers was great. Even especially in Perry's case, because Christian Cage managed to do it while staying heel, uh, which was just fantastic stuff. Um, you know, like you know, I the reason I picked him because he's the best. You know, he's got all the most talent of all of them, but he's needs to needs to get his head out of his ass. Was just fantastic 
promoing Christian again. Christian Cage is just great. Um, but yeah, yeah, um, good stuff. Um, I I loved the Christian Cage inclusion. It was a really nice touch. Um, like you you didn't, you didn't have to say anything nice, but he said it in a way where like, man, I hate that I'm saying this, but I have to because yeah. Like he lost to Jungle Boy. So, um, all right. This is a, a big talking point. AW World Trios Championship open house match. House of Black uh, defeated um, the, I think they were calling him uh, the best amigos because it was Chuck Taylor, Tremperetta, and Bandito. Yeah. Um, okay. So they kind of were a little confusing with the, the house rules, but whatever. Um, that's, that's a whole nother thing. Let's talk about the lighting. I loved it. Really? It was, it was different. It wasn't egregious. It wasn't like, you know, that WrestleMania match with Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton, where you had like the, the spooky bullshit. Yeah. yeah. It was just, it was just a different way to light the building. I didn't care about the video board, like with like the little specks of fire flowing up. I, like, like, I think that just added a little bit because of the the lighting in the ring being so fluorescent. I, I, I thought it was really cool and it gave it a different look, but it was still professional wrestling in the ring. It wasn't a gimmicky light where the light actually played into the match. I thought it was just cool. It didn't bother me. Uh, I wasn't like, I don't think it really did much for me, I will say, but... Um, I thought that it was, uh, it was fine. I, I would have preferred to not have the, uh, the lights on the, uh, the display boards personally, the, the flickering stuff. I thought it was a little distracting, but you know, I mean, if this is going to be their thing, that's fine. It's an attempt to do something different. I didn't think anything of it really either way. Now I, I will say that I would thought this match was, uh, I mean, I thought it was worked well, pretty well, but. I think that they really did not incorporate the house uh, rules gimmick very well at all. Um, they, you know, none of them played into the finish of the match or even looked like they would play into the finish of the match. This was basically just a normal trios match. Um, so from like a creative standpoint, that didn't make any sense whatsoever to me, but yeah, I, I totally get that. Um, it's, I just thought the lighting was cool. The wrestling was good. Three and a half. Like they could have, I thought you're right. They could have done a better job um, with yeah. that, but kind of is what it is. Um, yep. we'll see if, if they do it again, if they change things, um, let's talk about after the match, you get a shot in the back of a guy holding two titles standing over orange Cassidy. And it's Kyle fucking Fletcher. Let's, go belt this motherfucker up like yeah look orange cassidy's great he's defended that belt like 22 consecutive times we need a change give it to fletcher he after that uh that iwgp title match at sakura genesis where he did that moonsault and almost killed himself and gashed his head open on the guard oh, yeah yeah and then he did another one um i think uh it was on a road to show defending those titles. And then he, he like flat back bumps on concrete. Like yeah. 
this dude needs to stop doing moonsaults to the outside or keep doing them because cool shit keeps happening. Just please don't hurt yourself. Um, But he had that that star-making performance, and now you're looking at a potential, like, this could be a real dude. Like, help him up. Like, take advantage of it. Yeah, hopefully, you know, if he gets signed to AEW at some point, that'll be fantastic for the company, I think. One thing I do want to mention is just that the pre-match interview with uh, Best Amigos and uh, Orange Cassidy, where after, you know, the Amigos head to the ring, uh, Renee asks uh, if Orange has any final words for best friends, and Orange Cassidy just goes, I'm so tired, Renee. (laughs) Good stuff. Yeah, that that was really good, and I think that's we might finally see the end of that Orange Cassidy title reign. Um, all right, main event time. Steel cage match. Kenny Omega versus John Moxley. <sighs> this was phenomenal. This was so well done. Um, Omega comes out with Don Callis. Moxley comes out with uh, Brian Danielson, and Danielson's on commentary. Um, the Bucks uh, threatened to like kind of go after him, and Danielson stands up. He's like, you don't want to do this. And Nick Jackson ends up doing uh, a senton splash over the top on uh, Claudio and Wheeler Yuta. And there was a lot of BS early in the match. Um, before they really got in the cage, mm-hmm. um, Moxley came out and attacked Omega. And then you had the Blackpool Combat Club jump. You had the Bucks come out. And all of these little nuanced things. like And that was before they even got in the cage. And then um, Omega is just waiting for Moxley to get in the cage. And then they beat the piss out of each other. Uh, Omega grabs a barbed wire chair. That becomes um, important in the match. Um, they take down the rope because one of the things Kenny does really well is he uses the ropes to kind of springboard the V-trigger. And that would come into play mm-hmm. because they ended up he ended up V-triggering Moxley through the cage. Tremendous. That was a fantastic spot. I'm amazed that he did not get, uh, get hurt by that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, these two guys were great, but um, Callis comes in to uh, save Kenny uh, from the screwdriver spot. Um, also, I loved the touch of the glass. Now we know the glass from the uh, from the Revolution match, but it's uh, I believe th- the story is that glass was from the table that yeah. they broke on the first episode of Dynamite. Yes, yeah, if great. I recall correctly, that was the pay-per-view story. Yeah. Stuff. Um, like you don't need to know that for this match to be great and to enjoy that. But if you do those little Easter eggs, just make this company that much better. And, um, they do us, they do a couple spots on the pane of glass. I'm sure Renee Paquette is backstage. Just like, God, like, yeah. God, what it's are you terrible. doing? You're in, you're in a major league company. Why are you doing this? And she posted a picture of Instagram of him holding their daughter and his back is just shredded. Yeah. <laughs> Um, anyways, you get, uh, Omega, um, hitting the V trigger, getting the one wing angel and at the two count, Don Callis screwdrivers, Kenny Omega in the forehead. Moxley gets the one, two, three and Callis turns on family. Yeah, this was a hell of a turn. Uh, I was shocked. Uh, I think it was done fantastic. Did you think it was too early for this turn? Because we knew it was coming. It's all, it's, you know, I I think the big question is the follow-up. You know, how do they handle it next week? Um, it, But, you know, I think that if they have a good explanation for it, and I would have to assume they do, uh, that it'll work well. Um, 
but I thought this was a very shocking moment in a good way. And uh, I thought it was a great way to go off the air. And it's a big incentive to tune in next week. So I thought that this was just a, a big home run all the way around. This was, yeah, this was tremendous. I gave, I gave this four and three quarters. Um, I couldn't quite go the full five, but. I went four and a half, but I thought real hard about bumping in another quarter. Yeah, this was everything you want in a cage match. It was brutal. It was violent. You had big spots. You had like real, I hate you energy. And then you had the great turn of Don Callis. This was, this was phenomenal. Um, just great stuff. Great stuff. Uh, great stuff. Now, there was the uh, there was a, a video posted by the AW social team of uh, Lexi Nair talking to Kenny Omega, asking him about how he felt about Don turning on him because they're family. And I, I thought this was very interesting. He says, "If I can't trust the Bucks, if I can't trust family, who can I trust?" And I, I think this is a prelude to Kota Ibushi. And I don't yeah, think I'm alone. That's how I, that's, that's, how, that's how I took it. Uh, a big question that we're going to have going forward is where exactly does Takeshita fit into this? Uh, I, is think, he going I, to think, go I think so. Um, I, I thought so the whole time. Yeah. Um, now, the one thing with the BCC, you have to bleed with them to join them. Takeshita mm-hmm. has now bled with the Blackpool Combat and Club. Of course, Callis so has you. Don Callis. Yeah. Yep. And... You have the inclusion of Kota Ibushi, which Ibushi versus Takeshita could be freaking tremendous. Ibushi mm. has the style to be able to um, wrestle a lot of these guys because he has a lot of the martial arts. He can do flippy doos. He can do brawls. He, Ibushi is such a uh, such a dynamic pro wrestler in that he can he can really do a little bit of everything. Um, and I think it's going to be. Um, the Golden Elite and Hangman Adam Page versus the Blackpool Combat Club adding to Keshta and Don Callis. Um, this is this feud just keeps getting better and better. It's the best thing EW's done in quite a while. Is just great stuff. Great, yeah. great stuff. Easily the best thing in this uh, pay per view build is the BCC Elite uh, feud. In the in the process of. of the run before the show or before this match started, I mean, they announced that we're going to get next week in Austin on dynamite, Ricky Starks versus Jay white. I find this very interesting because Austin is basically a second hometown for Ricky Starks because he did most of his wrestling out of Austin. They kind of adopted him as one of their own. Tony has a history of putting people over in their hometown. I don't think he's done an epi- a show where somebody wasn't put over in their hometown. Like WWE always does this. I- I'll never forget Cena losing to Edge in Boston and then beating him in a TLC match in Toronto. How does that make any sense? Like, come on. Like, yeah, it- yeah. it's just an opposite dichotomy. Mm-hmm. What do they do here, Fred? Like, do they? They need to put Jay White over, but. They, I feel like they box themselves into a corner a little bit. Yeah, this is a really tough position because, I mean, I think Jay White needs to win, but frankly, I don't think Ricky Stark should be losing either. Either, I guess they could have him just get screwed and that'll be the end of it, but I think this has been 
it's been one of the worst feuds in company history and not because of either guy it's entirely because of the creative where they just haven't really had a chance to do anything in this feud but it's just been like shambling forward um it's honestly a, just a uh, loaded with disappointment. It's mm. it hasn't even necessarily been bad. It's just like disappointing um, because this could have been so much better. But we also know that AEW has a tendency to sometimes turn these things around. Yeah. So um, I'm not going to completely write it off, but it's it definitely is. It it, it ha- could have been better. Yes, Odie, I hear you. You want to play <laughs> in a little bit, buddy? Okay. Uh, yeah. That's dynamite. Um, I, I think they have some stuff announced, some more stuff announced for next week and for Rampage. Rampage card looked kind of okay-ish. Um, but before we go, Fred, we need to talk about the firm deletion. Yeah, uh, you watched some of this. I watched all of the episode of Rampage this was on. Um, and uh, I think that this is it's done. I mean, the the gimmick is done. Um, we need to just not do another one of these again uh, because I think they're out of ideas. This was extreme. Like, if you're going to do this, like, you should do the wacky creative stuff. Like, that's the whole deal with it, right? Is to set that stuff up. Nobody should be watching the firm deletion expecting, like, uh, a Moxley esque bloody blow off, right? But this was just nothing. Um, it was just really uninspired. It was the same stuff you would expect, and you know, like the the really basic stuff, like oh, they're fighting on the Hardy compound. Oh, they're shooting fireworks at someone. They're uh, the kid and the wife and uh, the you know the gardener get involved briefly with Stogley, uh, and they just didn't have any really unique ideas and. It was bland, and this should be anything but bland. I think even if you don't like the the concept of these things, I think you should at least be able to agree with that. That if you're going to do this, you should at least do some far out stuff just to you know justify doing it, just to make it unique and make it mean something. And I think they just failed at all levels, and it was just like a complete two and a quarter star kind of the thing that happened. Yeah, I, I think they need to be done with these deletion matches. It was awesome initially. Way back um, in Impact TNA. That that was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And I will still defend the first stadium stampede. I think that was exactly the right thing at the right time. Um, the the second one was not nearly as good. It was it was too long and not interesting. But this just failed. I think at what it was trying to do. And I think if you can't, if Hart, Matt Hardy can't do these, then, uh, you know, outside of like short Hardy, you know, nostalgia act reunions, I don't know what they can be for AEW because frankly, mm-hmm. they, for the most part, are not it as far as uh, in ring competitors. They're not up to snuff anymore just because of age and injury. Yeah. Uh, okay, so one thing I, I want to point out, and uh, in the Discord, um, Griffin Peltier, uh, who d- did a tremendous job with all of the WrestleMania weekend coverage, um, shared a, a meme that I think is very funny. Okay. Um, I have two sides. One side is Tyson Tomko, and the other side is Luchasaurus, labeled Dinosaur Tomko. 
Yeah, Tremendous. I can't disagree. Uh, maybe at some point Luchasaurus will uh, refuse to drop a beat for him. Oh, that, absolutely. <laughs> that is our show. Fred, anything else before we uh, sign off here? Um, I don't think so, man. I think this is uh, it. Um, uh, oh, uh, Dragon Gate. Uh, I have been trying to learn Dragon Gate this year. I've been watching it, and uh, I have to strongly recommend at least the title matches. That's all I watched, but the title matches off of Dead or Alive. Uh, every one of them was at least good. The main event where uh, Madoka Kakuta finally won the big belt in the company uh, was great. Like a four and a half star, great um, promotion. Oh, they they snapped up Kakuta. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Kakuta beat uh, Shin Skywalker. Sorry if you wanted to avoid spoilers on a week old Dragon Gate show at the end of an AEW podcast. Uh, I don't know why you would expect that to. <laughs> To be protected for you, but yeah, I mean, it was really good, and um, I think Dragon Gate's got a lot of great young guys that I'm very excited to see moving forward. Absolutely, and if you want more Dragon Gate coverage, nobody does it better than Voice of Wrestling, and the guys that open the Voice Gate, Case exactly. Low and Iron Mike Spears, are absolutely phenomenal. Um, you will want to check that out. They cover Dragon Gate literally better than everybody else in the professional wrestling space, except for Jay, who does Dragon Gate's english commentary um hey, if you and speaking of jay he was on uh the open the voice gate uh podcast i think two weeks ago now that's an absolute must listen interview he is astonishingly open about the stat the, st- the status of uh pro wrestling in japan and specifically uh dragon gates place within it and uh it's a super interesting listen if you know anything at all about dragon gate yeah all right, let's uh, let's finish this off. You can follow um, us on Twitter at um, GoodBadHungy. You can email us at HungyPod at gmail.com. We also take questions in the Voices of Wrestling Discord, um, which you can uh, subscribe to as well. We have our own channel because we are cool. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter at the Real Forno. You can follow all my Vikings work at VikingsWire. Uh, at sorry at the Vikings Wire and at VikingsWire.usa.com, along with in the show notes my YouTube Viking centric YouTube channel Vikings First in School. You can follow Fred on Twitter at Vigrant Wrestling. That's with an R, not a W, because Ted Turner is better than Vince McMahon. You can also um, subscribe to Fred's Patreon, where he does a lot of analytical work within the world of professional wrestling, and that is in the show notes. Um, thank you very much for listening, as always, and we will talk to you next week. Take it easy, everyone. Have a good week. Hello. Do you like New Japan Pro Wrestling? Are you a Shin Nihon freak? If so, check out the Super J-Cast with Joel and Damon on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. And even if you fucking hate New Japan Pro Wrestling, listen to the Super J-Cast anyway. Not just for our great show reviews, analysis, and pastrami sandwiches, mm-hmm. but there's also usually some dick jokes somewhere in the obligatory opening 30 minutes of absolute nonsense we chat about every single week. That's the Super J-Cast for all all the best talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling, crisps, and pornography.